You're listening to another episode of Diary of a New Grad Speechy. We are the go-to podcast for students and new grad speechies who know a little about a lot, giving you our unprofessional but professional advice that you didn't know you needed. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. By the time this episode comes out, most of you who are new grads and who have started their new job should be well and truly in the thick of working life now and navigating all of the things that comes with starting a new position. So congratulations. In this episode, we are going to be discussing what you could expect in the first six months of being a new grad speech pathologist. Yep. Welcome, everyone. And congratulations to all of the new grads or I guess any speech pathologist who started a new role uh, this year. But before we get into the episode, Cass, how has your week been? My week's been really good. I am finally back at work for the year. It feels really weird to start work again. I feel like my brain needs a lot of time to like get back into the swing of things. I feel like I'm really slow, (laughs) but you know, I kind of feel like I'm like, oh, how do I plan for a session in five minutes again? But Yeah, it's good to be back into a routine. How has your week been? My week's been really good. It actually feels really weird when you think about us recording in different countries right now. So weird. But but it's really good that the time zone is only a two-hour difference. So that's been really easy for us. But I guess it's been a little difficult with my internet being so unreliable. We apologize in advance if sometimes the quality isn't so good. Cassie and I have had to do a bit of juggling around and brainstorming about, you know, if we can't get the episodes recorded. Do you want to tell everybody where you are right now and and why your internet's not so good? (laughs) Currently, I'm sitting in my room on the boat, but I've had to put my phone on charge on an extension lead and it's sitting in the most random position on the boat. So it's under the tinny on the roof (laughs) because that's where my phone gets the most reception. You know, sometimes I have good reception and sometimes not so good. So I've been able to find this spot and fingers crossed it works out for us. (laughs) So let's get into the episode for today. First things first, When you start a new job, you should expect to experience some kind of nerves, anxiousness, and these feelings will stick around for a little while, I will say. (laughs) But feeling this way is a good thing. I know that I still get these feelings all the time with particular clients. You know, if you have a new assessment or even when another speech pathologist observes my sessions, I can become quite nervous. Do you feel the same, Ash? Oh, all the time. As most of you would probably know that when I was working, I provided a speech service to a kindergarten room that only had children that were on the autism spectrum. Anyway, one day I was just so nervous, so, so nervous because the director of the private practice that I worked at came to observe me, three of the educators and the other speech pathologist that was working there and then also the director of the whole center because we were all brainstorming about how best we could implement PECS. But the director of the private practice decided that it would be really good for me to demonstrate PECS to everyone there and with a child. Um, And, you know, these child can be very unpredictable. Anyway, I was so stressed and so nervous. I kept making all the mistakes. 
<laughs> and I feel like I probably do pecs pretty easily. Like that's an intervention that I am fairly confident with. And because I was just so nervous, I was making all the mistakes that the director had to keep like interrupting me like, Ash did it, it's Ash did it, and Ash, Ash, Ash. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was so nervous and it just goes to show like, you know, if you get yourself worked up, you just end up making the mistakes. But if they weren't there watching, I would have just done what I usually do and got on with it. <laughs> yeah, you would have literally aced it. Um, I think that just goes to show, like you said, how when your nerves take over, when someone's watching, you just like forget everything that you know. Mm-hmm. And I guess when you are a new grad, you can feel this nervousness for a bunch of reasons. You know, if you've got a new client or if you're unsure of the treatment approach you are doing or you might not be able to answer a question, you know, the list goes on. There's always ways to overcome these feelings though. So you just need to remember you don't need to have answers to a parent or client's questions straight away. You know, we've discussed this previously, but if you're unsure, just say, I'll need to look into this a little bit more and I can let you know in our next session. Or, you know, when administering a treatment approach, if you make a mistake, the parent doesn't know. And that goes back to my demonstration of the pecs. The educators were learning, so they didn't know that I was making a mistake. But obviously the director knew because you know, she's done pecs for however many years now, but the educators didn't know. And that just goes to relate back to the parents. You know, if you do make a mistake, just reflect on that after the session and do what you need to do to make sure you don't do that same mistake again. You know, whether you research more, you watch YouTube videos, whatever you need. Feeling nervous is actually a really normal feeling. And even if it lasts well into six months of working. Yeah, I think that's important to acknowledge. And I think understanding that if you make a mistake, it's actually a learning opportunity because you're never going to, I think, learn sometimes from things if you don't make those mistakes, if that makes sense. So I think it's all part of the process. So just allow yourself to make mistakes. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think you learn more if you do make mistakes because you don't want to have that feeling again of, oh no, where where do I go to from here? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think as well, just on that, Ash, you know, sometimes as a parent, like you were saying, they don't know that you've made that mistake. Like sometimes they might struggle to understand the difference between speech and language. So they're not going to know if you miss the auditory discrimination step when administering minimal pairs for the first time. Like they don't know that hierarchy like we do. But, you know, as I just said, you know, take note of that and just figure out how you can improve for next time, whether that's writing yourself a prompt or practicing with your housemate or your boyfriend. (laughs) We've all been there. (laughs) Yeah, so you can definitely expect to make mistakes and to learn from it. I think just on the, you know, making mistakes discussion, something that I would probably recommend is bring that situation to your supervision session with your supervisor and talk about the mistake that you made and talk about, you know, what you might do differently next time. Because sometimes talking about what happened with somebody can actually be a way of like releasing that, you know, anxiety about it. Like, Ash, sometimes I'll send you a Snapchat video and I'll be like, oh my God, I did this today and I can't believe it. But like the minute that I've sent that to you, I instantly feel better because I've like let it off my chest, if that makes sense. You've just revealed to everyone that we communicate via Snapchat. (laughs) (laughs) And we FaceTime and we text. (laughs) But yeah, you're right, Cass, because often I'll reply or you'll reply and be like, oh my God, I did that the other day. (laughs) 
And then, <laughs> and then I think, oh, so much easier. But yeah, you're right. Bring it up with your supervisor because they'll validate how you're feeling and they'll also provide extra strategies or, you know, give you some more support of how you can overcome that mistake next time. Another thing that you can expect is to definitely have moments when you <laughs> when you pretend to know what an assessment abbreviation is or any abbreviation, you know, especially if you're working with adults or in a hospital, abbreviations are thrown around left, right. And <laughs> I was going to say left, right, good night. Oh, God. Left, <laughs> right and centre. <laughs> And then you need to go and Google this after the conversation. So learn from my mistake. Is it also your mistake too, Cass? Yeah, I've definitely been there before. I know that I asked a parent once, I was like, oh, what literacy treatment is your child doing at school? And they're like, oh, they're doing like the triple C program. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yep, cool. And she's like, yeah, so like how does that fit in with like what you're doing? And I was like, <laughs> Um, and I was like stumped. I should have just said from the first time, oh, I don't know what that is instead of lying. Mm. Totally. So learn from our mistakes and just ask then and there in the conversation and what that abbreviation means. Some people really love talking in abbreviations, which is fine. If it's one of you, go for it. But this can be really confusing for some of us. I have learned that if you just ask as soon as this new term is said, then at least you can follow on with the conversation and fully understand, like in Cassie's example. I have even started asking clients or parents to clarify things if they have just said a term or something that I'm not aware of. It doesn't mean that you're silly and don't know. You just haven't heard that term. So if you don't have a reliable Google source to tell you all of the abbreviations, just ask and do yourself a favor of avoiding that awkward situation like Cassie. Yeah, I think the biggest thing to take away from this is speak up. It's always better. Just on that note, it also, like I was saying before, is really common for parents to ask you about like random treatment approaches that they've either heard about from a friend or Googled themselves and they'll often ask for your opinion of them. Oh. So... This is a tricky one. It happens all the time. And I feel like sometimes they just look at us and they're like, hmm, I bet she doesn't know the answer to this. So I'm going to ask her. No, probably not. But I think, again, just say that you, you're not sure and that you'll take the time to go and research it. Because it, I've been in that situation before as like a patient where I've asked like a doctor for something and they'll be like, oh, I'm not sure. Like, let's look it up right now. And I think being in that situation made me understand like, oh, it's okay. Like not everybody knows the answer to everything you know they'd probably rather you be honest and say you don't know than actually just give untrue advice oh definitely and you know if you give advice and you're talking about something and you're just completely making it up if the parent knows what that what the question is that they're asking they're just going to look at you like you don't know anything so I've done this a few times where I've said oh I actually really don't know anything about that I'm going to ask around and you know so I can give you my honest opinion on it but it happens a lot as a new grad, but I still feel like even today I'll get a random question that about a treatment approach or something that I've got no idea about. <laughs> new things keep popping up every year. So many new things. I can't keep up. <laughs> Seriously. Okay. Well, moving on. This is a big one that all new grads should expect in their first, I'm going to say six to 12 months. And this is being unsure when to speak up and ask for help or advice if things become too overwhelming or you simply just can't cope with the workload. 
this is a big, big, big learning curve that everyone learns while working in the allied health profession. But it's very important that we learn when to speak up for ourselves. So then, you know, we can ensure that you are providing the right therapy and service to a client. You aren't taking on too much that you can't handle and will experience fatigue and burnout faster. Cassie and I have spoken about this a few times as well. Yeah, we have. And I think speaking up earlier really also gives you a good understanding of what your workplace is like from the start. You know, like if you speak up straight away, you'll know that your employer is supportive and open to discussion and wants the best out of you. And I think that's a really important thing to gain from your new employer and workplace is how they react to things like that earlier on. Um, You'd rather not have those conversations a year down the track. And I think, yes, yeah, I didn't even think about that, Cass, but that's such a good point to raise. And I think, you know, like that is something that we learned, wasn't it? You know, we didn't speak up initially. And then when we did speak up, it was almost not too late, but the damage had already been done, I would say. Mm. Or your employer thinks that you can handle this type of work. And then I guess if you come to them because you've been struggling for X amount of months, then they're going to be quite shocked because they would have assumed that, you know, you could have done this, this, and this. And just know that by asking for help and speaking up for yourself is not a sign that you aren't a good clinician. It's a very important skill to have self-awareness and to know when you need further input from a supervisor or other colleagues. So Absolutely. And I know from speaking to employers before that they'll recognize that as a strength because you can recognize in yourself when you're burnt out. That's actually a strength, not a weakness, because a lot of people don't do that straight away. I think another thing, and I don't know about you, Ash, but I used to get super confused with understanding the different referral pathways and all of the funding schemes and like what they meant. And I thought that I would never truly understand what they were, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. I would always get them so confused as well. And again, they would say it in the abbreviations and I would think, I don't know what this means. Please explain what an EPC is. (laughs) (laughs) What is that? Um, You know, I think just take the time to learn what your practice or government or place of work accepts and just learn the basics of these. I will put a little disclaimer in here that we do have an episode coming out about funding schemes and referral pathways if you guys want to know more. So hang tight for that. Yeah, stay tuned for that. Okay, this is another important thing that you expect to learn in your first six months. You need to find a way to make note writing more efficient and find a way that works for you. There's a lot of different ways that clinicians can structure a therapy note and so try out a few different ones and find which flow kind of works for you the best when you're a busy clinician you don't want to waste a lot of time writing notes honestly I hate it oh my god I literally hate notes so much oh especially if you accidentally leave five notes until the end of the day sitting down and writing it is I find the biggest struggle of that day But obviously, this is a very important part of the job, but you will soon learn that the way university taught you how to write notes can be very different to the way that you will or you see others writing their notes. Yeah, for sure. I think your style changes over time as well. And you will also learn how to be flexible in your day and how to manage your admin properly because let's face it, a big part of our work can be completing notes and reports and sending emails and researching and you don't want to get caught up in 
oh, did we do the k sound for 30 minutes or, you know, like just mm. be real brief. Like what did you do? How did they go? Done. So, yeah, but that's going to come with, I think, more time. So just, you know, be easy on yourself in this first part for notes and ask for examples. Examples are really good. Examples are great, yeah. So expect that, you know, you're going to become a little bit overwhelmed with all of the admin stuff. But if you think, okay, I need a way to make my notes more efficient, to write reports, to sit down and get, I don't know, have strategies to actually sit down, you know, you are going to find ways around it in the first few months. So set up the good habits now so then three years down the track you don't always leave your notes to last minute, which sometimes that's what I do. <laughs> there was once where I had like 30 notes outstanding and I was like, <gasps> how am I going to do this? Uh, I did it. Is that I because, did it. because you use Clinico as well, so you can always see how many notes that you haven't fully submitted, hey? Yeah, and there's like a big, you can go to like the homepage and it'll be like to-do list and you can just like scroll and I was like, oh, my God, so overwhelmed. But anyway, I did. And it's like, and it's like 10 pages long. <laughs> Literally. I think I just did them one night. I was like, I'm just allocating like two hours to this. But, yeah, don't, wow. don't do that. You. Yeah, learn from Cassie's mistakes. Set up the good habits now with <laughs> note writing. Uh, something I also found out pretty quickly in my career was that the speech world is so small. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll often totally. meet sorry go it's so small you don't realize and especially Cassie since starting this podcast as well you end up knowing so many people literally and you'll often meet someone who you know at work or that you went to uni with or people that we've interviewed and they'll be like oh you know so-and-so and you're like what how did you know that <laughs> Yeah, or you will change workplaces and then someone from your new workplace will say, oh, you used to work there. I know this person. Did they work with you? Blah, blah, blah. And I think when you know that, it changes your, I don't know, like I'm always like, I feel like I'm always a very friendly person and somebody that is like easy to talk to. But I think when you know that the speech world is so small, you really understand the importance of establishing and maintaining those good professional networks where you can because you never know like where you might run into someone again and you never know when you might need somebody for like a reference or professional advice. Do you know what I mean? hundred percent. You don't want to give the impression that you're really hard to work with and you're quite mean because then when <laughs> they know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, if sorry, I thought you were saying I was. <laughs> because then that person might know someone who you're working with and they might, you know, give not some nice feedback, so... It's always really good to be professional when networking and maintain those relationships where possible. For sure. Something that we have spoken about before quite a lot on the podcast is that work-life balance. And a big thing that you'll probably find when you begin your new grad year is that clients really need us. <laughs> and a lot of the time their needs can easily become ours. And, you know, we want to do what's best for them and their families because that's our natural personality type and that's why we're all speechies. But one thing to remember is that you need to separate that from your home and personal life and the importance of self-care. This is something that we didn't do in our first year and we got burnt out straight away. So expect to try and navigate that work-life balance in the first six to 12 months, I would say. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, Ash, because 
I know like, and I don't know if this applied to you, Ash, but, you know, having my emails on my phone and then seeing emails come through like on the weekend or like, you know, missed calls or something that come through outside of hours, you might see them and you might want to reply because it might be like a client venting to you about something. And you're like, oh, I'll reply quickly or, you know, they want to change their appointment, I'll reply now. But the minute that you kind of set those expectations that you're always going to reply and be there really gives them that like understanding that you're going to answer like no matter what time of day it is (laughs) and you've opened those boundaries. Do you agree? 100%. And that's the reason why I don't have my emails on my phone. I refuse to put it on. A few people have said, oh, why don't you have your emails on your phone? I'm like, for that reason, because I know when I'm at home or on the weekend, I'll be like, oh, let me just check my emails. Yeah. That's a good point. Something I do too, like my work team communicates by WhatsApp. And sometimes if I'm like on holidays, I will mute my WhatsApp notifications because you just need to like really separate yourself from work sometimes. Yeah. That was a thing, a conversation that we had where I work, everyone there communicates via Slack and you can download that as an app, but I didn't download it as an app because I didn't want to have to get notifications when I wasn't at work. And because I only work four days a week, there's that Monday where people are messaging in there, which I would have gotten heaps of notifications from. So I would just always have it in my browser, which was a nice navigation around that. But I think if it's on your phone, you know, we always have our phones. So you are just going to naturally click on it and do stuff. So where possible, try not have your emails on your phone or sign out of it after your work day. Yeah, for sure. That's a good tip. The next thing that you should expect to learn in your first six months is that working as a speech pathologist, you actually need to be a team player. It's really common to think that you will come out and be your own clinician. But what often happens is that you work as a team and you learn to share a lot, a lot and a lot and a lot with your colleagues. You share resources, ideas, sometimes even clients. You have to be really collaborative with your teammates. So it's really important that you're open to this and you learn to work with your colleagues well. It's also extremely important to understand you will often need a whole team of professionals to work with one client, doctors, neurologists, pediatricians, OTs, dietitians, physios, the list can go on. So being a health professional is a lot about teamwork. You very rarely work with a child on your own. So you really need to have the skills to be a team player. 100%. And there will be days where you might just want to come to work and, you know, see clients and go home. But that very rarely happens. You know, you've always got to have your, you know, people person face on and you've always got to be, you know, a little bit bubbly and and excited and energetic because there are so many people part of your team who you need to work with to get the job done. So I think that can be quite eye-opening as well as like, oh, I'm having such a terrible day or I'm so tired. But... (laughs) I'm at work. I need to put my work face on. And that's something that you'll probably realize straight away. You'll get worn out pretty quickly, but it's part of the job. I'm going to give an example here for being a team player. Most of the kids that you will see will have a pediatrician. And sometimes they can be really tricky to work closely with because they're so busy. Obviously, you could just imagine the amount of children that they have to see. It would be pretty overwhelming. But one of the pediatricians in the Gold Coast where I work has a really good name for themselves because they involve the whole team in diagnosis and whatever that client needs. And I had a case conference with the whole team that the pediatrician put together and they wanted to ask 
our opinions on a potential diagnosis for this child. And it was just so nice for a pediatrician to ask my opinion and the OT's opinion before they went and made the diagnosis for the child. So I really felt like we were a team and it was so lovely. Mm. That's such a nice example because not to put a bad word out there, but I have had times where I have worked with other professionals and like I haven't felt like I've been a part of the team. And it does really change your team dynamic. I think, you know, you feel like you're always pestering them for advice and then they never really consider you in the decision-making process. So I think that's a really nice example. So obviously there is a lot more that you will experience in your first six months, but I feel these can be ones that aren't always mentioned, but they are very important to note. The first six to 12 months can be very challenging, but hang in there. Things you find challenging now will 100% soon be a lot easier and it will even become automatic in your practice. It's kind of like driving a car. (laughs) Good analogy. I think that concludes our top tips for what to expect within your first six months of work. Again, each workplace is so different, but it is always nice to know what to expect and know that everyone's in the same boat when it comes to starting a new job, no matter where you're at in your career. I can probably say that I would have to revisit these if I got a job in an adult setting. I would say that I'd probably really need to revise these as well. So thanks again. If I had to go work with adults, I would be starting back as a new grad, 100%. (laughs) (laughs) It's just what you're used to, hey. So, you know, totally normal. Well, thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you'd like to stay up to date with us, then please give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook at Diary of a New Grad Speechy. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review below. Thanks so much. See you next week.